Hey, this is Russ Adcox, lead pastor at Murray Hills Church. This month we're doing a series called Launch, which is about how to reconnect to your faith or how to grow spiritually. I hope you enjoy. Amen. Thank you for your worship this morning. Thank you, Lance, for that song and Mike for those thoughts uh, about communion. I've got a, a few folks I want to introduce to you before we get into the message. So we've got, I got four families actually to introduce to you. And then I got another one next Sunday, and then I got another one the Sunday after that. So we, we had one of our biggest Step One luncheons uh, two weeks ago that we've had in a long time at this church. It, it, for sure, the biggest one we've had post-COVID. And so we've got a lot of new families to welcome to the Murray Hills family. And so let me introduce a few folks to you. Now, these guys, they usually sit right back there, so I don't see them. So that means they're going to be in the second service. But this one's kind of unique because Hayden's not new. He when he was in high school here, I feel like he grew up here, but uh, Katie is new, and Katie was baptized four or five weeks ago, and uh, so we're, but we're officially welcome as members, but that's Haiti, uh, Katie Scott and Hayden Stone and, and uh, Charlotte Ann, and we'll, we'll just, we'll, no, let's applaud for each one. I was going to say we'll play to the end, but no, no, we should applaud for each one. We're really excited to have them. Now, I don't have a picture of the next one, but Kim Morgan, uh, that's Katie's mom. She's placing membership as well, and Katie's grandmother was in step one, too, so we're working on her. Uh, so we've got the whole family. But uh, John and Linda, are you guys in here? Procise. Are you guys in the room this morning in the first service? They're going to be in the second one as well. Uh, we want to welcome John and Linda to Murray Hills, new members today. And I know you guys are in here, so I saw you, Gene and Carol serving. Would you guys stand real quick and just let us say welcome to you. They're right there. So welcome. And you guys, was it California or Texas? I've forgotten. California. Okay. The California connection continues because I, I couldn't remember which one, but they just moved to, uh, to Columbia not too long ago. But uh, go meet them after the service is over. Now, if you're online, you can't do that, but hopefully you've seen their picture and hopefully you'll get to meet them soon. If you got a Bible with you this morning, uh, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Mark chapter 2. Uh, you can mark both of those places. That's where we're going to be. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, Mark chapter 2. And uh, you can follow along the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. Before we get there, I want to talk church for just a little while. I've been uh, attending church for a little over 47 years. The first 18 of those were involuntary, so my parents made me go. Um, the last 29 have been by choice, and I might have missed a few, there might have been a few brief periods first year of college that I wasn't as faithful as I should have been to attending church, but the last 29 years, I've wanted to be in church, and 22 of those have been as a minister in the church. So in 47 years of attending church, you can imagine that the church has frustrated me, disappointed me, hurt me, criticized me, judged me, disheartened me, and depressed me. I've not always been happy with the direction of the church. I've not always been happy with the worship. I've not always been happy with the preaching, even when I was the preacher. At the same time, in those 47 years, the church has encouraged me, inspired me, motivated me, matured me, accepted me, cared for me, 
and loved me. In 47 years of being a churched person, whatever, you know, I might be an over-churched person, but in 47 years of being a church person, I've learned two things about the church. The first one is the church is messy and imperfect. How could it not be? The church is made up of people, and people are sinners. So you throw a bunch of sinners together in the same room, it's going to be messy and imperfect. If you say to a bunch of sinners, you know what, it'd be a good idea if y'all all met together every single Sunday and had a worship service together, because I'm sure that's something y'all could all agree on. Let's just do that. You know, it's, go it's going to be messy and perfect. People are going to get on your nerves. People are going to wrong you in some way. You put a bunch of sinners together in a small group and say, why don't y'all get together and talk about your beliefs and feelings? That'd be fun. Uh, I mean, it's, there's going to be people that rub you the wrong, wrong way. There's going to be people that hurt you. You put a bunch of sinners together on a ministry team and say, hey, serve our children's ministry or do our worship or go out and serve in the community. It's, it's, we're going to disappoint each other. That's going to happen because we're sinful people. And that, that, when sinful people get together, sometimes they act sinfully. I know, it's shocking. But number two, the church is beautiful and essential for all the hurt and disappointment or, or the conflict or the times that I wish it would have been different the times like oh I wish we do it this way or I wish it would have been the church is still beautiful there's no other group of people to whom I'm willing to trust my spiritual care than the church because I've never been as loved and accepted by the church than anywhere for all its imperfection something beautiful still happens here People are brought into the presence of God. There's a verse that says, where two or three are gathered, there I am also. Jesus says that, that when, that when people gather, when the people of God gather, that the Spirit is with us in some way that He's not with us on an individual basis. Like there's something beautiful that happens when the people of God get together. And it's absolutely essential. And I don't, I don't say that as a pastor. I, I was a church attender before I was a pastor, and I'll be one after I'm done serving as a pastor. I just say that, that it's, it, it's essential. It's something that has had an impact on my life, and it's made me a better person. It's made me a better husband and a better spouse, and, and I just hope a better person. And so when people ask, this series is about spiritual growth. And so we're talking about four practices you can impl implement in your life to help you grow spiritually. And when people say, well, how do I grow spiritually? How do I reconnect my faith? How do I, how do I make God more of a priority? How do I have a deeper relationship with God? The first answer we always give is, well, read your Bible and pray. You know, spend more time with God. And that is exactly what we should do, but that's only a part of the answer. That's not the whole answer. The second part of that answer is, find a church and get involved. Be, and I'm not talking about a specific denomination. I'm not talking about a specific church. I'm not talking about a specific form of organized religion and all that kind of stuff. I'm just saying find a group of people. Find a group of people who share your beliefs that you can get together with and worship together with them and, and fellowship together with them and study the Word together with them because there's something very valuable and beautiful that happens there. And yeah, time to time you're going to get frustrated and time to time you're going to be disappointed and, and sometimes it's going to challenge you in ways that make you feel uncomfortable. But like I say, there's no other group that has the capacity to love and care for you like the church. And that's because the church is filled with the Spirit. So if you read the book of Acts, you'll find out a couple of truths about the church. One, that Jesus founded it. <laughs> that Jesus is the foundation of the church and he's the head of the church. But also that it was the spirit that fueled it. It was the spirit that moved it. 
And I think that spirit is still working in the church today when the church is willing to get out of the way. <laughs> like when we're, when we're willing to get our kind of hierarchies out of the way and, and sometimes our creeds out of the way or whatever it is that, that gets in the way of the spirit. And I think the spirit's still moving. There's, a, there's kind of a false narrative out there, and it's been around for a while, that says, I don't need church. Like I was, I was on social media uh, looking through some stuff the other day, and I, I just ran across a comment. Let's see if I can pull it up real quick. Yeah, it's just, it just a random comment on a post that, that but said, I don't believe in church going any longer. But my, you know, my, my spirit, my relationship with God, it's personal, it's strong, and it's healthy. I don't, I don't see myself as a church person. I don't think I need church members for fellowship. And that's kind of a common thing. Like, we hear that a lot. Like, I don't need people. I just, as long as I got my Bible, I can read my Bible and I can pray and I got my worship music. I don't, I don't need a group of people to do that with. I can do that all by myself and my relationship with God is going to be just as strong as ever. And I, um, I don't think that's true. I just, I, it's just in my experience. I'm just speaking from my experience. From my experience and also from people I've met, I've never met somebody that stopped being part of a church and they grew spiritually. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's like, you know, well, no, I don't, I don't want to be around any Christian people whatsoever. And I understand where that comes from. It comes from a place of hurt, okay? I get that. I totally understand that because I've felt that way in the past. And I know you've felt that way at different times. Like, I don't, why do I even bother with this? Why do I even bother with getting together with this group of people? This is just, it's just not worth it. I'm telling you, it, I've, I've never pulled back from church. And I've never not attended. I mean, I know some of you have been like, oh, yeah, there was a period in our life where we just got out of it totally and we just got to I, but, but there have been times in my life that I've pulled back. Like just you protect yourself a little bit by pulling. I've never pulled back from the people of God and grown spiritually. I've grown spiritually when I've gotten more involved with the people of God. And, and there's a reason for that. The reason is that God has designed us in that way. God has not, Christianity is not an individual pursuit. Christian spirituality is not something that you achieve by yourself it's a community pursuit. God designed it for community. He designed us to grow in community. That's his design. And I want to show you that in the first text we're going to look at. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Basically what I want to do today is I want to show you where the Bible says this. And then I want to give you an example from Jesus about why the Bible says this. So we're going to start in the, in the letters. We're going to start in Corinth. And, and let me tell you, when I put up there earlier the church is messy and imperfect, uh, you think the modern church is messed up? Or you think the American church is messed up? <laughs> you think this church is messed up? Just read the book of 1 Corinthians. It'll make you feel a whole lot better. Yeah, like you'll start to go, oh, wow, man, we've, we've really got a really healthy thing going here. <laughs> because the first century church, it's messed up. It's made up of a bunch of sinners. And I mean, in the first century church, they're divided. What do you think they're divided over in the church of Corinth? About whether to wear a mask or not, and whether to get vaccines or not, and whether, to, well, no, 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 that's the modern church. Okay, they're divided over uh, spiritual gifts, the way spiritual gifts should be practiced in the church. Some are speaking in tongues, some wish they wouldn't do that, or they're one or going too many times. They're divided about prophecy, they're divided about who's the better preacher. Some of them think Apollos, some of them think Cephas, some of them think Paul. But there, I mean, there, there's all this division in the Corinthian church, and Paul writes to them to say, you gotta, you got to pull together. This is not what church is supposed to be about. you got to pull together. And there's this whole section at the end 
where he's talking about how the church is supposed to operate. And in chapter 12, he talks about spiritual gifts. That's one of the things that we're fighting about. And then he says, here's the way the church ought to operate. And he uses an analogy of a body. And it's like talking about like we're all part of the same body and the parts of the body can't say to the other parts of the body, I don't need you. So I'm going to start reading in verse 13. And, uh, verse 13. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of a body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? What he's basically saying here is that diversity is a good thing. He's telling them, you guys don't all think alike. That's a good thing. You guys don't all look alike. That's a good thing. You're not all the same age. That's a good thing. Like, like it's, it's a good thing that the body is not, you don't all have the same gifts. You don't all have the same talents. That's a good thing. The diversity in the church is a good thing. And then he says this, verse 18. No, if you go to the next one for me. But in fact, now listen, this is significant. God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So this wasn't just accidental. It was like God is, God is involved in church somehow. I mean, God is, God is putting you into a family of believers or putting you into a place, putting you into a community, and, he, and he's right, you're right where he wants you to be. God's placing the parts of the body. If they were all one part, where would the body be? Again, this is about the diversity thing. As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. And that's what the commenter was saying, the, the one I referenced. And that was just one of many. You hear it all the time. You hear people all the time, I don't need church. I got Jesus, I don't need church. I got my Bible, I don't need church. Interestingly enough, the Bible says you can't say that. <laughs> so when somebody says, well, I got my Bible, I don't need church. Well, read the Bible. Because the Bible says, you, like, you, you, do, you can't say, I don't need a people. I can grow on my own. I don't need a people. Paul said, no, no. It doesn't, doesn't work that way because it's many parts, but it's one body. Look, starting in verse 22. Go to that next one for me, Noah. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker and indispensable, the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put, there it is again. God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And that's the way church ought to work. Like that's when you're in a community of faith, we're, there, there's no division because we're part of the same body. So it's Christ that pulls us together. God has put this body together and uh, yep, there's going to be conflict, and yep, there's going to be people that get on my nerves, and yep, there's going to be people that I get on their nerves. And, but God has put this body together, and, and we should remember that God has put it together. We should remember that Jesus is the head, and there's equal concern. When my brother's suffering, I suffer. When my, you know, when, when I'm, my brother's rejoicing, I rejoice. You know, there's, there's concern for one another. But look at that last truth in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. You are the body of Christ. Listen to this. This is 
there's a, this is a huge statement that Paul makes right here. You are the body of Christ, and each of you are a part of it. It, it means that everybody's included. Everybody's included, and everybody is welcome. But you're the body of Christ. You're the representation of Christ on earth. You're the ambassadors for Christ. Christ is, as, as Mike talked about, you know, he was crucified, he was, he was dead, and he was buried, and he rose again on the third day, and then he ascended into heaven, and now the church is his ambassadors. We're, we're his representation of the love of Christ on earth. We're the body of Christ, or the bride of Christ. Paul also talks about us as the bride of Christ, and we're to represent him on earth. It's a, I can't say to that, I don't need that. Because God has given me that. I had a, a friend of mine send me a, a video. I'm not going to show you the video. It was a, it was a video from, a, I'm going to show you a quote from the video. It was a video from PragerU, which I looked up. It was like they, they do a lot of political videos. This one was about faith. And it was titled, Why Even Atheists Should Go to Church. Which is interesting, you know. So like, why would an atheist go to church? And so, you know, I click it and watch that. And it was a it was a um, therapist, Erica, that last name. I don't know how to say her last name. And uh, she was citing a study from Harvard University about how religious involvement had a positive effect on mental health. So she's like, when you look back, just even among people, you know, like religious involvement has a positive effect on mental health and social health. It leads to reduced anxiety, depression, and loneliness, and it creates greater levels of gratitude and empathy in its participants, which is a pushback against the self-centeredness and pride and the narcissism of our society at large. And so she was basically saying, even if you don't believe in Jesus, you probably ought to go to church because there's a value in church and she was breaking down the reasons for church and this was the one that caught my attention because of what I was preaching about today she says this it talking about church provides us with a chance for community being with people who share our faith can act as a buffer against the emptiness and isolation of modern culture this is necessary more than ever in a world where we can have hundreds of virtual friends and few real ones. And this, I mean, like, this is, it, it's almost like watching the video, looking at, at 1 Corinthians 12, and then watching the video, is like, okay, there's the, the empirical evidence, or there's the sociological evidence for what Paul already said was true. And what Paul basically said was, we need each other. We, we need each other. As, as messy and imperfect as it is, as, as there's a danger you might get hurt, and there's always, when we enter into a relationship, there's always the danger we might get hurt. And that's one of the reasons that we don't enter into a relationship sometimes. Because we're afraid, if I, if I do this, if I make myself vulnerable, there's a chance that I could get hurt. And if the church has hurt its fair, fair share of people. But we need each other. We need each other. Now let me tell you why. It's a story that Mark told about Jesus, and it's one of my favorite stories about Jesus. You've heard it before, I'm sure. If you've been in church for any length of time, you've heard it before. But, uh, but listen to this. This is Mark chapter 2. Throw that one up for me. Mark chapter 2. It says, a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people had heard he had come home. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. 
And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowering the mat that the man was lying on. Now the roofs in that time, don't think about our big pitched roof with shingles. Think about a flat roof and most of them had a set of stairs that would get you to the roof because there's no AC. So they're going to spend a lot of time on the roof. So they had a way to get up on the roof and the roof's probably mud, clay with some, some type of beams or something for support. So you, you were able to dig through a roof. And so that's what these guys did. There's such a big crowd in the house, they can't get to Jesus, they're bringing their friend. So they climb the stairs, go up on the roof, dig a hole in it and lower him through the hole to Jesus. It's just incredible. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law, we'll back up just a minute on this story. Okay, can you imagine being in the room? Jesus is preaching the word. Jesus is teaching and all, and, and little bits of dirt start falling from the, the ceiling. And like the, the sun, like you start to see some light peeking through. And it's got it, they all got to stop. I, I don't know if Jesus continued teaching. If that happens here, I will stop teaching. Okay, so I'm I just going to go ahead and tell you. I kind of imagine they, that Jesus probably stopped teaching and everybody looked up. And like, what's going on? And they lower the man down. And, and the first thing Jesus says to him is what? Son, your sins are forgiven. That's not why he came. That's, that's not why he came. To, he came to Jesus. They brought him to Jesus because he couldn't walk. He's like, Jesus, that's not why I'm here. <laughs> I, I, Jesus met his spiritual need before he met his physical need. Jesus knew what he needed before he knew what he needed. And when he came into the presence of Jesus, Jesus gave him the thing he needed most, forgiveness of sin. Now look at the, the response. Some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? These are like the rule checkers. This is the religious hierarchy of the day. And, and Jesus has just saved a man, basically, right in front of them. And they're going, now that's not the way we do it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. In the old law of Moses, it, that's not the way we do this. According to church bylaws, that's not the way this is supposed to happen. According to our doctrine, this is not the way our denomination has ever done it. They don't say it, they think it. Jesus knows what they're thinking. And it says immediately, he knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Know the next one for me, uh, Noah. Which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. <laughs> he got up, Mark is so understated. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So this is a story about authority. It's a story about the authority of Jesus. He's trying to show that he has the authority to forgive sins. So it's a story about the identity of Jesus. Whoever has the authority to forgive sins must be divine. I mean, it's, it's about, about his identity. It's a story about uh, the danger of religious thinking, the flawed thinking of the religious leaders who were letting their hierarchy and their creed and their beliefs and all get in the way of a miracle. But it's really a story about community. Because I won't, I won't get you to go back, Noah, because I'm not sure where it is in the text. But 
you notice right when they lowered him through the roof, you know what Jesus says? He says when, it, when or Mark says this about Jesus, when he saw their faith. Did you catch that? Not his faith, not the man. I don't know if the, the man on the map may have had faith. He absolutely may have. But when he saw their faith, when he saw the community's faith, it's plural. When he saw the faith of the four friends that lowered their friend to the roof, when he saw their faith, he said, your sins are forgiven. This is about community. This is about a guy who had four friends that cared enough about him to bring him to Jesus when he couldn't bring himself to Jesus. They brought him to Jesus when he did not have the strength under his own power by himself. I don't need a people. I don't need, you know, a fellowship. I don't need, I don't need. And maybe he was saying that. I have no idea. Maybe he was saying, I don't need that. I don't need you. I don't need you. I'm fine. But he had people, when he couldn't bring to, get to Jesus by himself, he had four friends that brought him to Jesus. And when you read this story, there, there's two responses. My first response was, man, I need a savior like that. That forgives sin and that heals physical needs. But the second part of that story, and it's, it's the part that I don't think we always catch, is that we need some friends like that. Like we need some people that we're not always going to have enough strength to get there ourselves. We need some friends like that. Because this is how we grow spiritually. We grow spiritually through relationships, not hierarchy. We grow spiritually through community, not individual pursuit. We grow spiritually through dependence, not independence. And the bottom line of all of it is, we need each other. Now I'm going to ask the band uh, to come back out because we're going to close with a song here in just a minute. But I want to give you an example of this. And I hope I can get through it. <clears throat> So Monday, I uh, was coming back from vacation. Now the day the, the day after vacation is always the worst day, right? Because you're still in vacation mindset, and you don't you don't want to do any work, but all the work is piled up over the week. So it's like that's the most stressful day. The, the day you leave for vacation, and then the day you come back from vacation, those are the stressful days. So Monday was my first day back from vacation. I'm trying to get caught up and all this stuff. And I, I got a word that, you know, somebody had left the church. And, uh, you know, I've done this for 17 years at this church. I've seen a lot of people come to this church, and I've seen a lot of people go from this church. Like, that, it happens. It's just, it's part, it doesn't always have to do with me or this church. or anything. It doesn't even have to do, it, it could be, there's all sorts of reasons that people have to leave. And, but I got word that somebody, people, that somebody left, and uh, I always take it personal. And I know I'm not supposed to. I know that's the wrong thing to do. I know I've, you know, I've read all the books to pastors about don't take it personal. It's not about you. It's whatever's going on in their life. You, you ministered them for a season, and they're going into a new season. I know, I know, I know. I still take it personal. And um, so this had, I got word about that, and then that got me thinking about, well, this family. And this, I started thinking about other families that had left. And, you know, I just start thinking, thinking about that. I'm thinking through all of those. And then I did the worst thing possible. Well, you know how when you start spiraling in a little bit of a depressive state? You know, it's like you start spiraling down, and you know you're doing it. And so I was like, I need to take my mind off of this. So I got on social media. 
Don't, no, no, that's the worst thing you can do. When you are feeling bad, don't go on social media to pick you up because it will only take you further down. It is a depressant, not a stimulant. And uh, I, I started seeing these other churches posting, you know, and there's, you know, like they're posting about all their stuff going on. It's like, and it's just, I mean, it just, it kept going down and down. And so finally I, I left, I was, I was just like, okay, I packed up my stuff and I went home. And I walked in the house, and I, I go to the you know, back porch, and I'm just sitting on the back porch, and Jenny comes out there, and she goes, why are you home so early? I was like, oh, and it's just, I don't know, just, I am. And she said, somebody do something to you? I'm like, no, no. I like, was, was somebody, was it peep? people do something, people bothering you? I'm like, no, I didn't tell her. You know, I just like, no, that's fine, that's fine. So I'm, I'm on the back porch. And uh, I'm off social media by then. <clears throat> I actually started watching a sermon by Andy Stanley because I was like, okay, let me see if, you know, he, I, I, I just found a sermon and started watching it. And I got a text. This was, uh, this was a few, maybe an hour after, this was 6.16, I got this text. And it says, uh, so, my first prayer every single day is this. I asked God to put someone on, on my heart and in my mind that day that needs some kindness. Guess what? Today, I haven't been able to shake you. So I'm just going to ask, how are you? I can't imagine leading like you have over the past year and a half. COVID, a crazy number of new churches in town, and just getting people back in the door. I've learned over the last year that leading is exhausting. 16 years ago, you sat in my living room and talked with my wife and I about becoming members at Murray Hills. 16 years is a long time that you have been my brother. So today, I just felt led to make sure my brother is good. And I sent back, you know, I, like, it's like he had a camera in my office somewhere, or he's like hacked into my phone, or what, you know, I just sent back, I was like, this is a Holy Spirit thing, because you, you have no idea how much I needed that text right now. Like, this is just a Holy Spirit thing. And in, in my text back, I said, man, leadership is lonely. And I got to thinking about that after the fact. We're going to have coffee next week. I got to think about it after the fact. That's not true. It's not that leadership is lonely. Life is lonely. And we have moments in our lives where we get low and uh, we feel like everything is against us and everybody is against us and maybe even God himself is against us. And it's in those moments. I didn't have four guys. I had one guy that through a text opened up the roof and lowered me to Jesus. And that's why I say we need each other. Because I needed that text. Totally out of the blue, totally random. I needed that text. And it was a reminder of why I need the church. And I'm forever grateful that this church put me and him 
together in a community 16 years ago because I needed my brother at that time. We're going to sing a song to close out our service today about gratitude. And when you get in the, the spiral and you get into the depression and you get in that mode, gratitude. That's what our community needs to remind us of. We're grateful of what God has done for us. And we're grateful what God has done for each other. So let's stand together and close with this song. Thank you.